morning knowing that all that we have, all that we have and all that we are is owed to you, God, and your precious love and grace for us. Every good thing in our lives is a blood-bought gift from your Son. By your grace, we have been saved, and it is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God through faith to be received all by your grace. Lord, I pray this morning that as we continue in our time of worship, you would stir our affections for you, Jesus. God, we cannot do that in our heart. We need your Holy Spirit to work deep in our heart, to change our hearts, to be the hearts that you desire them to be, hearts that are in love with you, where you are at the center, you are everything, you are our greatest treasure, our greatest joy. So God, we pray from your living word today, God, that you would speak to us of yourself. We are telling you, Lord, that we don't want to just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We don't want to just sit through this time, but we really desire to commune, to meet with you, Father. And so, Lord, we are open, we are receptive, we are ready to hear from you. God, thank you that you meet us and thank you, God, for your love. I pray, knowing there are so many needs in this room today, God, we all come from different places, but you know each and every one of us. And today I pray that you would in some way remind us of the extent of your love, that we might be filled with the fullness of you. God, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. What you don't know is about an hour and a half ago, we had no power in this whole building, and it was really cool. I got a text from Allie this morning. The band was literally practicing this morning out in the lobby in acoustic. Pretty cool, right? And I got a text from Allie. They had just uh, sung, God, we welcome you in this place, and the power came back on. Kid you not. I was like, praise the Lord. So anyway, um, I'm thankful that the air is running. How about you? Thankful that the lights are on? Are you thankful? I have preached a sermon in this room with the lights out. Believe it or not. Yep. We had the lights go out about four or five years ago, and people thought, well, let's, we're going to end early. Barrett will finally preach a short sermon. And I just kept on preaching. We had no mics and no lights, and I just kept preaching. So who knows? We might have another treat today. It's good to see you guys. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we're continuing our series this morning called Your Name. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to get them open to the book of Genesis. It's the very first book in the Bible. I'm going to be uh, teaching this morning out of Genesis chapter 22. So you could go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Before we do that, I just want to uh, remind you of what this series is all about. Uh, this, the heart of this series is that we might have an opportunity together as a church to grow in our relationship with God. Not just to grow in our knowledge about God, but to grow in our experience with God. And the reality is, uh, this is the beating heart of the Bible. God wants you to know Him. You are made for relationship with God. And God desires for you to know Him. It's, it's the purpose for which you were created. 
God created you that you might know how great and wonderful and awesome and good and beautiful and supreme and glorious he really is. And that you might spend your whole life in this loving relationship with the one who is life, God himself. This is why all throughout the Bible, you have people yearning after God. It's like one of the psalmists says, like a deer pants for water. So my soul pants for you, the living God. That's why you have Paul, like we've talked about in the last few weeks in Philippians chapter 3, saying something like this. You know, whatever gain I had, I count it all as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. In other words, he's saying, look, the best of what this world offers is nothing in comparison to what God offers in relationship with him. And this is my, my passionate pursuit and purpose in life is to know God more. So I think we got some folks this morning, would you agree, that want to know God more? Yeah? I hope that's the hunger, the thirst, the desire of your heart. We've been going through the names because I've said in weeks past, and I'll say again this morning, that the names are significant in Scripture. Uh, significant because the names reflect a person's character and a person's quality. And by learning a person's name, you can learn something of the person himself. And God has actually revealed many names of himself in the scripture. And his names are to be to us a a, a place for us to run to. Like Proverbs 18.10, you guys have memorized this verse. I think some of you this summer, yes, no, maybe so. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Meant to be a refuge for us, a place that we run to. We find strength. We, we can grow in our trust because we know something of who God is. We talked about Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Knowing who God is as revealed to us through his name and his names. Uh, helps us to be strong in our confidence and our faith in the life that we've been called to with him. So this morning we're going to be looking at a new name. Uh, are you all ready for it? Genesis chapter 22. We're going to be looking at this morning the name of God, Jehovah Jireh. I don't know if you ever heard of this name, but it is a name that some are familiar with. Jehovah Jireh. And this morning I just want to uh, exhort you uh, just how good and great God is. And we see that uh, through the revelation of this particular name. We're kind of shifting from, uh, we've looked at in the, in the past few weeks, uh, compound names of Elohim, okay? We looked at El Roi, and we looked at El Shaddai in the last two weeks. And Elohim, I told you, is one of the, the most well-used uh, names of God. The earliest name of God is found in the book of Genesis, used by the patriarchs. This morning, we're shifting to uh, a set of compound names that are dealing with Jehovah, okay? And you see that in the name this morning, Jehovah Jireh. And I just want to give you a little bit of context of Jehovah. The, the focus this morning is, is, of course, Genesis 22, but just so you understand a little bit of the context of Jehovah. Um, if you remember, anybody remember the passage in Exodus chapter 3? You don't have to turn there. But in Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord had gone to Moses and he he commissioned Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses is going to supposed to be, go and tell the people to, to trust God and tell them what God's going to do. And you remember when, when, when right before he left, Moses turned around and he said, uh, if they ask your name, what shall I tell them? Y'all remember that? 
And, and God replies to, to Moses. He says, say to them, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is probably the clearest revelation of that first part of this compound name, which we're going to look at more in Genesis 22, but it's essentially uh, four letters. We could write it in English, Y-H-W-H. It's four consonants. We refer to it as a tetragrammaton, and uh, basically it's just a form of the verb to be, okay? So essentially what God is saying is, I am the one who was, who is, and who is to come. I am the self-existing one. This is what uh, God is saying when he reveals to Moses here. This is my name, Jehovah. I've got a few points that I'll put up just so you can understand it a little bit more. Basically what he's saying is the eternal, self-existent one. That's implicit in this idea of Jehovah. Essentially, um, every other person, if you think about it, um, All of us exist because we were created. Every single one of us. All of us depend on something outside of ourselves to help us live. To breathe, to function. Oxygen, food, drink, breath, etc. But this is not so with God. God is the God who does not need to depend or go outside of anything of himself in order to exist. He is self-existing. He exists within himself. The self-existing one, complete, full, perfect in all of his ways, dependent on nothing and no one else other than him. This is our God. I am who I am. The one who was, who is, and is to come. And we see here that this is a very personal name. Moses is given this name. And uh, this name is so revered among the Jewish people, even to this day, that it's, these four consonants are, are not even uh, spoken. <laughs> even when the scribes would get to it, they would, they would just kind of silently uh, do their work. But they wouldn't even, uh, wouldn't even speak it. Because it's so revered, the the precious name of God. Now we get um, Yahweh because essentially what happened was, if if I could geek out for a second, they they took the vowels from one of the other names of God, Adonai. They placed it onto the four consonants because it's just consonants, no vowels. And that's how you get the, the, the name Yahweh. And then translated into English, we get the name Jehovah. So it's all the same. Okay, And essentially, in your Bibles, most of your, your translations, this is me being a teacher for a second, when you get to a place in your Bible where you see all capitals, Lord, L-O-R-D, and it's all capitals, in the original language, that is the, the name Jehovah or Yahweh. It is this most personal name of God, the one who was, who is, and is to come, the self-existing one. And it's also the God who reveals himself more than just being like Elohim, a powerful creator God, 
And, and that's all that's known. No, we get to know this God in really beautiful and wonderful ways. He's a God who shows us his character. He's a God of moral and spiritual attributes of righteousness and holiness and, and love and the God of redemption. And he's the God who enters into a special covenant relationship with the people of Israel and the God who, yes, even today, longs and is actively at work to make himself known among all the nations. This is Jehovah, okay? Everybody with me there? So this morning, we're going to be talking about one of the compound names of Jehovah. This is where Genesis 22 comes in, all right? So if everybody got your Bible, and I do hope you'll write notes this morning uh, so that you can follow along and really meditate on God's Word, as I hope you do daily. Genesis chapter 22. Um, we've been looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah. And we've been looking at that original promise that God gave to Abraham. That he would make of him one who would be great. Abraham left by obedience. We know the story. Uh, they uh, waned in their faith and they took things into their own hands instead of trusting God completely that he would do what he had promised. And we have that unfortunate story that we studied together in Genesis chapter 16 with Hagar. We see the rebuke of Abraham and Sarah and the many more years of waiting that we looked at last week and how God came to them, brought them to a place where they had absolutely nothing but dependent upon God himself. They knew there was nothing they could bring to the table but God, and God reveals his name like we talked about last week, El Shaddai, the one who is sufficient. God teaching them that he is their sufficiency. He alone is their sustenance and their strength. Well, this morning we get to Genesis chapter 22, and by this point God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah. Yes, with great laughter. <laughs> These old folks had a child. It's, a, it's, it's just an amazing, miraculous story of God's provision for Abraham and Sarah, but more importantly, his faithfulness to his promise. And here in Genesis chapter 22, we get to probably one of the most moving stories in all of the Bible. Anybody ever studied this chapter before? This is one of the most moving stories in all of the Bible. And it's the story that really is the climax probably of Abraham's life. I mean, it is the place where on display before us is this man and this choice of whether this man of God will make, whether to trust and follow him or whether to just go, what in the world? This is just a supreme hour of, of testing in Abraham's life. So we have Isaac. The great promise has been fulfilled. Can you imagine how Abraham and Sarah felt? I mean, what joy. What joy. After all these years of waiting that God has finally given them a son. After all of their mistakes and sin and rebellion against the Lord. After God's grace and redemption in that. After waiting when it seemed totally against hope. God provided them hope. When their bodies were as good as dead, he brought life through them. And here is Isaac. He's here. He's finally here. 
and the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that has come to them. I mean, it's just hard to even imagine, but some of us can probably think about that, just what they felt and all of this meant. And they're just basking in the faithfulness of God. God, you're so faithful. You're so good. I can't believe that you've chosen us to be a vessel of your grace for all the world to know how good you are. This is Abraham and Sarah as they're walking into to this moment, and they probably settle down into rest. Whew, thank goodness. We've seen God's provision. He's prevailed. And, and then here we have verse 1. After these things, and I read from the ESV, God tested Abraham, Elohim. The one who is over all, the one who Abraham knows well, who's powerful, all is owed to him, all is from him, all is due to him. Elohim tested Abraham. And he says to him, Abraham, Abraham knows the voice. And Abraham says, Here am I. And God says, verse 2. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. What? I mean, can you imagine, can you put yourself inside of Abraham's shoes for a second? Can you even imagine how this moment feels to Abraham. Asking Abraham, Abraham, let me, let me have, you, you come and give me the one thing you, you the, the one who you love the most. Isaac, was Abraham's dream come true? He's the promised seed, the long-awaited gift from God. And there's no doubt. Okay, friends, when you get to the scripture, this is one of the things I love about the Bible. Do y'all love the Bible? The Bible's awesome. One of the things I love about the Bible is every single word is there for a reason. God says, Abraham, take your son. He could have just said, take your son Isaac, but he doesn't just say that. Take your son. Then look at the next phrase. Don't just look at me. Look at your Bible. What's it say? Your only son. Not only is this your son, Abraham, but this is your only son. Yeah, I know, God. My son, my only son. Not just your son and your only son, but what's it say next in your Bible? Whom you love. Very intentional. God. Saying, take your son, 
Not just your son, your only son. Not just your only son, but the son in which your affections are poured out to. Take, take him to the altar. And not just that, but this, on the son rest the promise of God. I mean, how can a nation come if there's no Isaac? How will there be a seed of Abraham that will be numerous, descendants more than the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea? I mean, how is, how is there any future fulfillment without him? And Abraham waited so long for this. It's not like he's, what? He's in a place of contradiction. Theological, if you think about it, emotional, social, Relational. Anybody ever been in a place where it just feels like it doesn't make sense? Anybody ever been there? And you just feel like you're in a place where I just, I don't understand. A place of trial. And here Abraham has to make a choice between the blesser and the blessing. And it's a choice we often have to come to Again and again and again. Abraham, what you're going to trust more? What you're going to want more? Me or Isaac? We're faced with what feels like this most difficult, excruciating choice. But what we know is Abraham, we learned last week. What did he learn in chapter 17? God is his sufficiency. If he doesn't have God, he doesn't have anything. But if he has God, he can have everything. God is able to be trusted. He is faithful. He is good. He is powerful. He is sufficient. And so, very interesting. So unlike what happened to Abraham. Here's a man who's growing in God. Aren't you thankful that God gives us a picture of people who are growing in relationship with him? They don't finish where they start. Some of y'all know I had that sign on my toilet growing up. I've talked about it many times. There's a little boy fishing. It was like a cross-stitch sign. It just was right over the commode when I was growing up. And it just said, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. (laughs) But I'm so thankful, just as a side note of this story, that here's a picture of a man who God is not finished with yet. He is growing him. And I just want to encourage you today Yes, you've got a long way to go, but God is at work in your life. And if you look back two years, four years, six years ago, if you're growing in your relationship with Christ, what a joy to see God growing us to be more mature, people who trust him and are more obedient to him more and more in our life. Such is true with Abraham. Abraham, in verse 3, look at it. I mean, take your son your only son whom you love to the altar? But Abraham in verse 3, he says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. 
On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. All of these verses indicate an immediate response from Abraham. I mean, if you just look at the verbs, he arose, he saddled, he took, he split, he went. Tremendous faith, trust in God. And notice what the verses don't say. It doesn't say that Abraham had a debate with God. It doesn't say that he had an objection to God. It doesn't say that he complained or he tried to bargain with God. It just says that he went. He arose, he saddled, he took, and he went. Huge step of obedience. But it's obedience that comes from faith. And this is why I say this. If you look at the next verse, verse 5, it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and come again to you. I and the boy, we will go over there. We will be obedient to our God and we will worship. But then we will come again to you. Huge demonstration of not just the obedience of Abraham, but listen, friends, when you obey, it better be coming from a place of faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. God doesn't just want rote religious obedience for the sake of legalistic obedience. God wants your heart to deeply love and trust him to the point that your trust is so great that you would do anything that God leads you to do. This is why I say Abraham had faith in this moment because he said, we will come again We will come again after we worship. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a verse that helps us to see a glimpse into what is happening in Abraham's life at this moment. It says in verses 7 through 9 of Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith that we often call it in Hebrews. It says, by faith, Abraham. By faith. By what? Faith, Abraham. When he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, the son of promise. He considered, now listen to this, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him. What caused Abraham to obey was a heart of trust. A heart of trust in his El Shaddai. A heart of trust, he said, you know what? I'm going to obey the Lord because God has shown me again and again and again that he is faithful, that he is enough, and that he can do way beyond anything that I could ever ask, think, or imagine. My God is an awesome God, and I will obey him. Even though I don't understand him, I will obey him. Because he has proven to me his faithfulness again and again. He can raise my son up from the dead. If he asks me to give him, I will do it. Because I trust who he is. I trust his heart. So Abraham walks off in obedience. Now it says, he 
If you go back to Genesis chapter 22, it says in verse 6, that Abraham took the word, the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. I just, I can't, I can't even picture. I think of Caroline, and I just, I just cannot even picture. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, they went both of them together. And Isaac looks up at his daddy, Abraham, and he says, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the the fire and the, the wood, but where? Where is the the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide for himself. Trust. the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order. And he bound up Isaac, his son. And laid him on the altar. On top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. And he took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you imagine? son his only son the son of promise the son of fulfillment the son of the one who always promised to come the son whom he loved his only son and he raises a knife to offer his son. But then, in verse 11, the most amazing thing happens, which is the climax of the story. As Abraham is raising the knife over his precious boy, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Verse 12, the angel says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Can you imagine? I mean, here's Abraham at the moment his son is all bound up and he's raised the knife and just as he's about to come down on his son, his only son whom he loves, God says, Abraham, stop. Stop. And Abraham looks up. And as he looks up, he looks in a distance and he sees the lamb provided for the burnt offering. And he offers the lamb instead of his son. And it goes on and it says, so, verse 14. Now we're coming, we're coming back around to the name. Here we go. Y'all still with me? Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. In English, it's written here, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Something extraordinary happened in this moment, friends. If you're yearning to grow in your relationship with God, lean in for a second. Because God has been taking Abraham on a journey, and he's been taking us on a journey. And he yearns for us to learn and to know him more and to experience him more. He's saying, Abraham, I want you to learn something about me. I want you to grow in your relationship with me. You've just learned something that I want desperately to show you. The name of this place you're going to call by my name. And my name I want to give to you today for all time is this. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. For on this mountain, it's seen that on the mountain of the Lord, the Lord shall provide. Now, what is the meaning of the name? Okay, we've talked about Jehovah. But I want to talk to you just a second about Jireh. The meaning of the name Jireh. It's really, really interesting because um, the word Jireh literally comes from the form of the verb, which means to see. It means to see. Now, interestingly, um, what I'm going to take you on a little trail here. It really means to see beforehand. And from this understanding of the name, we get the understanding that it means the Lord will provide. Now, I want to show you this, how we, we end up here. But I want to put up a few points for you to see, and hopefully you'll take notes. What we know is about the Lord, from eternity to eternity, God sees everything. Would you agree with that? 
That is a testimony of the scripture. God sees. We even talked about this a few weeks ago with El Roe. He is the God who sees me. He knows it all. From end, from the end to the beginning, he has all eternal wisdom and knowledge. He's all-knowing, all-wise, and all-powerful. Now, another word for seeing is vision. Okay? It comes from the same word. In the Latin, we use the word video, which means to see. Thus, when you have the idea of God foreseeing, you have the word pre-video. Does that make sense? Before I, beforehand, I see. Pre-seeing, essentially, is what it is. And from this word is the very word that we get, provision. It's like pre-vision, but we use in English provision. So literally, the understanding of provision from our English language comes from this very idea, which means I am able to see beforehand and thus provide. And what we know is that God's prevision is followed by God's provision. Providing for the need that his foreseeing shows him to exist. Y'all track it with me? This is pretty cool about the Lord. This is really cool about the Lord. What he's saying is, God will see to it. Have y'all ever used that phrase? I'll see to it. Anybody ever use that phrase? That's just a Georgia phrase. Some people use it here, maybe. Back home in Georgia, my folks would say, you know, especially my mom and dad, they'd ask me to take out the trash. I'll see to it. It might be three days, but I'll see to it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've been through adolescent years. Seeing to it, what does that mean? It means I will do it. I will get around to it. Because I see it, I will take care of it. Do you understand? This is the idea that is inherent in the name Jireh. The Lord sees, and because he sees beforehand, he provides. God is my provider. Even in its inherent, because the same exact word is used in verse 8 of chapter 22. Abraham said, God himself will see to it, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The Lord will provide. Now, why is this significant, okay? Why is this significant? It's significant, first of all, in Abraham's life and in our life from from here on out, because the reality is knowing this about God, knowing that God is a provider, here in this moment in Genesis 22, this name suddenly becomes a commemoration of of a great deliverance. It's a constant reminder to Abraham and to us how wonderful the grace and the power of our Jehovah God is that would bring such a deliverance. It's a lesson that only God, only God can take care of the things that he promises. 
It's a, it's a reminder that we can trust him. It's an opportunity to just rejoice in God's grace in Abraham's life and rejoice in God's grace in our life. We, we know this from the story. Obviously, it would be an opportunity as well for Abraham to just... Can you imagine how tightly... Some of you parents in the room can understand this. Like how tightly he would have held Isaac that night. To cherish the gifts that God gives. In an even greater way, having surrendered those things before the Lord. Going through times of testing. Often what happens is in our lives, and some of us are in times of testing right now, where you may not know the end from the beginning, but I'm telling you, God does. God does. He precedes, and he also is a God who provides. He, he, he provides. And, and I believe that as we walk through the fire, one of the things that God graciously does in our lives is he brings us to a place of greater surrender. And as we come to these places of greater surrender, we come to these places of recognition of, of greater grace. We become more grateful people because we, we have a deep understanding through our times of testing of how good God is to continue to allow us to experience the things that we do. We, we, we get it. Like, we just get God's grace in greater ways. And I, I know this happened to Abraham. And, and you've got to know that in Abraham's life, in the future, he's looking back to this event in the past. You know, one of the things that God does in our lives is he often will bring us through big things. And then as we go through things in the future, whether they be smaller things or even bigger things, we look back and we go, God was faithful then And he is my Jehovah. He's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He's the same today as he ever has been. He is still faithful, and I can trust him. Yeah, I can trust him. And I'm just telling you guys, you can trust God. Abraham learned in a greater way this day that he can trust God because God is a provider. This moment would forever be seared in his mind and in his heart where he would remember that God is a God who I can trust. He provides what he sees beforehand he can take care of. He can take care of me. And some of us in our, in our lives today, you just need that encouragement. Don't let go of hope and faith. God can take care of you. Even amidst the impossible of the impossible, God is a God who provides. Believe that. Hold on to that. And friends, some of us have forgotten times in the past where God's provided. Call those things to your memory. God says to Abraham, write it down. Don't forget it. Some of us are quick to forget the amazing things that God does in our lives. Don't be quick to forget. Remember those things, for they're meant to give you hope and strength in the future. But I will tell you, none of those significances are, I think, the ultimate significance of this. This is about to get real good, okay? Because the ultimate significance of this moment is found in something much bigger than just what's happening in Abraham's life. I'll go ahead and put up on the screen what I believe is the ultimate significance of this moment. It's this. God was showing that deliverance comes through the provision of a substitute. God was showing that for his people, for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
for all who would come after them, including all of us of faith today, that God's deliverance comes through our Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, doing what he does, providing, providing a substitute. That, I believe, is the deepest, most beautiful picture of this text. Let me show it to you briefly. Isaac and the lamb in the story, both of them are types. We know that Abraham, Abraham knew. Here's a guy who knows sin. I mean, all you got to do is go back to Genesis 16 and you can just see he knows sin. And he also knows that sin has a consequence. And that consequence looks like death. In fact, the Bible says from start to finish that the wages of sin is death. The consequence for turning away from God, for Abraham and for every single one of us, the consequence of our choice to turn away from God is separation from God that leads to death. Abraham knows this. If you look at Abraham's life, he's been making altars all through his life, numerous altars he's built. And every time he's building an altar, what's happening is he's bringing something to die before God. He's making atonement. There's this picture as he makes an altar that his sin is causing. Worship comes. The ability for me, a sinful man, to worship a holy God comes to the provision of something that has had to die in my place. This is, this is, Abraham knows this. Why then the demand for Isaac? Was it not, I mean, was it not for Abraham and for us? I get passionate about this because I want us, sometimes I don't know that we feel the weight of our sin in the way that we ought to. And I really believe that for Abraham and for us, was it not that God was saying right here in this moment, I want to impress on you more deeply the weight of sin. The temporary nature of these sacrifices, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats and rams to take away sin. All of this is a shadow of something infinitely worthier. That should be the actual substance and reality. Isaac is given almost like a pattern for us uh, to see the judgment of God of sin. Animals cannot take away the sins of man. Y'all know that? Animals cannot be consecrated to God instead of men. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 16 says it clearly. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. It's just not enough. Only one of like nature. If one of Worthy enough could be found. Only one of like nature could make such atonement for us. And here, in the deliverance of Isaac, I think Abraham and we get a sense, an even greater sense than we get to sacrificing an animal. Here, we're sacrificing one who is in our, who is in our image. One who is more like us. And we're getting a sense 
an even greater sense of the weight of sin. What would be needed for a true atonement. But not even Isaac is sufficient for that. God is teaching Abraham that the only sacrifice acceptable to himself is one that he prepares. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What, what the prophet is wrestling with is what sacrifice would be great enough to make myself right with God? Would it be a thousand or ten thousand animals? Would it be giving my only son? No, no. None of it would be enough because the cost of my sin is infinitely greater than that. The atonement would only come through one that God would provide. And it's interesting here, if you go back to Genesis chapter 22 and look at the first verse, it's very interesting that here after God says, Abraham, and he says, here am I, verse 2 he says, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of, what does he say? Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall show you. On the mount of the Lord, the last verse that we read says, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That's what we learned. But there's a specific place that God says, Go to this mountain, Mount Moriah. I'm going to show you something about how I provide. What we know is from Mount Moriah, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. I know I'm taking you on a little trail here, but it's very important. We know from 2 Chronicles Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on where? Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. What we know is that in David's time, Mount Moriah, the specific place that God led Abraham to offer up Isaac, becomes the very place that the temple of God is constructed. The very place that for hundreds, thousands of years, there would be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Sacrifice to atone for the sins of a people in the presence of an infinitely worthy and holy God. Death upon death upon death upon death. The very heart of the Jewish religion centered on substitutionary sacrifice. But even this is just a shadow of things to come. That's why like with Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we know that there's something coming that is so much greater than the temple. Even Isaiah and Micah and then later Zechariah They all predict 
that something is coming on the mountain of the Lord, something that no one has seen. It has something so much more to do with these animals and so much more to do with this, this earthly, physical building of the temple. And yes, friends, I will tell you that something so much more was going to happen. Because it is on the site of Mount Moriah that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave his life at Calvary. Something so much greater is at stake here in Genesis chapter 22. For Jesus came. This is why Jesus said to the people in John chapter 8, verse 56, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is saying, there's something so much more at play here. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Yeah, there's a looking out into the future that this moment is not the ultimate moment. This moment is made possible by something that God is going to do in the future. On this mountain where the temple would be built, where forever and ever the people would, would be giving the animals and in front of the holiness of God, this picture of the covering that's needed for sin. And yes, this moment is made possible by the moment that God himself, that God himself will provide. And yes, he did. He provides. He provides. He provides. For we know that Jesus came, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, for our righteousness, obedient to God in every moment, that we might have righteousness, though we are unrighteous. And we know that he came as a gift of God. Think about Genesis 22 when you hear this verse from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why do you think God said to Abraham, hey Abraham, go take your son, your only son, your son whom you love. Because ultimately God wanted to show you and me how he was going to provide not just provide for Abraham, but provide for all who believe. For God said, I love you so much that I'm giving you my son. Though you deserve to be on that altar. See, we're Isaac in the story, aren't we? We're Isaac. We deserve to be on the altar. I love you so much that I'm giving you my son. My only son, my son whom I love, so that you who deserve to die could look up from the place of death and see the substitute that I have provided in my son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, for us all. What is this verse? Paul's picturing Genesis 22. The knife is raised 
above Isaac. Isaac was spared. Abraham didn't have to lower the knife, but not so with God. God did not spare his only son. When the knife was raised, there was no substitute for the only way for us to be saved is for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to die. And when the knife was raised, it came down and Jesus was killed so that you and I could live. Praise God for his love and grace. Who can fathom such a Savior? He who did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. Yes, oh yes. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. For on this mount Jesus was delivered on the cross for our sins over to death so that we who are sinners could be forgiven and free. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God shows his love among us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. On Mount Moriah, Jehovah Jireh was teaching Abraham what he himself, and he's teaching us what he himself was prepared to provide. Does it break your heart, Abraham, to give up, to slay by your own hand, as an innocent sacrifice, your well-loved, your only son. Then think of the love that I have for you. Think of the infinite cost that I paid for you. Think of what I am prepared to do for you. I am your Jehovah child. And see the love and obedience in the son, taking up the wood upon which he would be laid, the picture of Isaac, the picture of Jesus carrying his own cross. And the thing that Abraham foreshadowed, see, Abraham said, verse 14, it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the thing that he foreshadowed came to fulfillment when on the cross Jesus cried, it is finished. The Lord, our provider. There's one more little verse that I just want to point your attention to. It's that haunting question. I hope you'll memorize it. Verse 7. When Isaac said to his father, my father, here I am, my son, Abraham said. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where's the lamb? And God helped Abraham to see. Abraham announces, my son, God himself will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. No wonder. That when Jesus arrives on the scene, John the Baptist looks up, chapter 1, verse 29, and he says, Behold, he's answering Isaac's question. Where is the lamb? Isaac says. John looks up and says, Behold, there's the lamb. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 proclaims, knowing you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then in Revelation chapter 5, we know that forever and forever and for always, the Lamb of God will be the center of attention and affection and admiration and the very presence of God in the heavenly places when all gather around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy. And he heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. I got news for you this morning. Y'all excited? Our God is a provider. He is able to provide. He is our provider. As we close this morning, I just want to call you to worship. I mean, there is no greater being in all of the creation than who our God is, and He deserves our greatest affection and admiration. We need to fall on our face like the creatures in heaven and the living ones who have come before us, who've walked by faith, and just say, Worthy is the Lamb. Because if we look at our own lives, we know that we are deserving of death. We know that. Your sin has a consequence, and that consequence is death. You are not deserving of relationship with God. The knife should come down on us. But praise God for his love and grace. And though we deserve to die, he calls our name And he says, look up, look up. See the lamb that I have provided for you. The lamb who can take your place. Look up. On the Mount of Moriah it shall be provided Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world as a sufficiency of salvation for all who believe in him. God's grace and love poured out for you. Look up. Where's the Lamb? Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. Either you die on the altar in your sin, or you look to Jesus and receive from him the salvation and the grace that he has for you. God loves you. He loves you. The Lord will provide. Amen. The Lord will provide. And not just for salvation, but Paul says in Romans 8, Oh, if he did not spare his son... Don't you know that he will graciously give you all things? Worship him for salvation and trust him for the day, the things today that you need provision for. He is our provider. He's great and wonderful in all of his ways. Let's worship this morning. I'm here if you need me. There's prayer counselors in the back. We just want to fall on our face this morning and just say, God, thank you. God, thank you. Some of us are here today and we've may have never received this gift of Jesus. And today is the day that you just need to recognize, oh, God has provided his son for you. You deserve to die. 
but there's an opportunity to live. And the way to do that is to confess your sin, to admit that you're a sinner, to believe upon the Lamb, to look up at Jesus and believe that He is who He says He is, that He can take your place, applying your righteousness, forgiving your sin, giving you new life. And as you believe on Him to receive that precious gift of God, just call out to Him for salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Others of us who know God's salvation just need to say, God, help me feel it deeper. Help me be more grateful, more happy, more amazed at your grace. And help me, Jesus. Help me to trust you. God, I'm going through it right now. It's hard. But Lord, I've heard today that you're a provider and I want to trust you. God, I want to trust you. You foresee and you provide. God, help me trust you. Everyone responding.